Thanks for joining us for the special Mid-East Prophecy Edition of In Spirit and Truth with Pastor J.D. Farag of Calvary Chapel, Kaneohe. Pastor J.D. shares the Mideast Prophecy Update from an Arab perspective as he connects the dots of current events geopolitically with last day's prophecies biblically. It is our belief that the next event on God's prophetic clock is the rapture of the Church of Jesus Christ. It is our hope that these Bible prophecy updates will not only ready you and steady you for His return, but that they will also encourage you to share the gospel with others in order that the rapture will not be as a thief in the night. Pastor Gidi recognizes that his prophecy updates are sometimes difficult to hear. Today's update might be upsetting because he tells us that things must get worse before the rapture happens. But take heart. God is in control and all that's happening goes across his desk beforehand. Satan will not have the final say. Now, don't forget to stay with us after today's Prophecy Update to learn how you can become a Facebook friend or watch the weekly Prophecy Update on YouTube. Now, here's Pastor J.D. with today's Prophecy Update as shared on November 14, 2021. I want to talk with you today about how it is and really why it is that God allows affliction and difficulty to increase in the lives of His people right before He's about to deliver His people. Throughout the pages of Holy Writ, we see this common theme as it relates to hardship, difficulties, trials, right before God is about to take out His people. And such was the case with the exodus of the Israelites out of Egypt, slavery in Egypt. Right before God took them out, it became unbearable. The affliction, the hardship. Right before God brings the plagues, (laughs) and then He takes them out. If you would join with me in Exodus, the fifth chapter, let me kind of give you the backstory of what's going down at this point. This is where God now has called Moses to deliver His people out of Egypt. Now this is after Moses tried to take matters into his own hands, literally. Now hang on to that, because that's going to be germane to our understanding here shortly. So after he tries to deliver God's people in his own strength, taking matters into his own hands, he ends up killing an Egyptian. And then what does God do? God basically sends him to the backside of the desert university (laughs) uh, for 40 years. Um, (laughs) It's very interesting because Moses now is realizing after all of this that God will deliver His people, but God will deliver His people in His way and in His time and for His glory. So this is when now Moses goes to Pharaoh as God commands him to, 
And he says to him, let my people go. And this is <laughs> shockingly what happens. And Moses is beside himself, as we'll see. Not only did Pharaoh, as we know, not let the people go, and this is the first time now he's going before Pharaoh, he makes it worse on the people. In verse 10, Exodus 5, we're told, and the taskmasters of the people and their officers went out and spoke to the people, saying, Thus says Pharaoh, I will not give you straw. You know those bricks that you have to slave away and make? Well, we've been making it too easy on you. It seems that you've got too much time on your hands. If you've got time to complain about your slavery and you want to leave, so I'm not going to give you straw anymore. How about that? Go get it yourselves. Go get yourselves straw where you can find it. Yet none of your work will be reduced. <laughs> In other words, you still got to make the same number of bricks. So the people were scattered abroad throughout all the land of Egypt to gather stubble instead of straw. You know, it's very interesting. Let me just kind of parenthetically insert this here. In their archaeological digs, they found in the city of Pathom and Ramses these bricks that the Israelites made. And the first layers of the bricks were intact with straw. And then as he got a little bit higher, less straw in the bricks. And then stubble instead of straw. And then finally they found bricks with absolutely no straw in them. I love it when God does that. Exactly as God said in His Word, it went down. Now verse 13, we pick it up. The taskmasters forced them to hurry, saying, fulfill your work, your daily quota, as when there was straw. Also, the officers of the children of Israel, whom Pharaoh's taskmasters had set over them, were beaten and were asked, Why have you not fulfilled your task in making brick both yesterday and today as before? <laughs> Translated, you're not getting off of this. You're not getting out of this. Pharaoh has commanded you without us providing you the straw to continue making the same number of bricks and you're not doing it. So what are we going to do? We're going to beat you and even kill you, the taskmasters over them. Well, as you might imagine, the Israelites were devastated and angry. And we're even told in this chapter, that the elders, the officers of the Israelites bypassed Moses and Aaron and went to Pharaoh, tried to smooth things over to no avail. And so they're, now they're mad at Moses. It's just the beginning. And so <laughs> what does Moses do? Well, we pick it up in verse 22. So Moses returned to the Lord and said, 
Lord, why have you brought trouble on this people? Why is it you have sent me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people. Neither have you delivered your people at all. Oh my goodness, Moses, wait. <laughs> what? You know what he's doing here, right? Oh my goodness. He's questioning God. First of all, why did you call me to deliver your people out of slavery? Why did you send me to Pharaoh? I kind of get the impression that he fully expected that Pharaoh would be a little bit more cooperative. He certainly wasn't expecting it to get worse. The burden to become heavier, the affliction to become more, the fiery furnace to become hotter on his people. And so he's questioning God. And how about this, when he says basically this, Lord, I've done what you told me to do, but you've not done what you told me you would do. What's up with that? That's a very loose translation and paraphrase, but you get the point, right? Neither have you delivered your people at all? Come on, Moses, God's going to deliver His people despite this evil. He's just not going to do it the way you think. And He's not going to do it when you think. And He's not going to do it how you think. He's got a plan. And yes, it's going to get much worse before He delivers them. Because understand that this is pre-plagues. God will first bring on Egypt ten plagues, the tenth of which is the death of the firstborn son. Here's where I'm going with this and why I emphasize this. The pain and suffering intensified right before the death of the firstborn son to deliver them. And so too is this true for us. The pain and suffering is intensifying right before God's only begotten son delivers us. In other words, and here's the takeaway, the harder it gets, the closer we get to when Jesus comes to take us out of this Egypt of a wicked, fallen world. Acts chapter 14, very uncomfortable passage. I don't like to read it, I don't like to hear it, and I certainly don't like to teach it. But this is the Word of God. Let me again give you the backstory. This is the early church. Multitudes are coming to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. The gospel is being preached. People are being saved. But there's something that comes packaged with that. And it's recorded for us here, verse 21, Acts 14. They preached the gospel in that city and won a large number of disciples. Then they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, 
strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to remain true to the faith. Wow. So, so far so good, right? How did they encourage and strengthen them to remain true to the faith? They said, we must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. Wait, what? That's supposed to strengthen me and encourage me? That stresses me out. That doesn't help me out. You mean to tell me that I'm to be encouraged and strengthened, remaining true to the faith, knowing that we must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God? Yes. I see it this way. This is the fine print of the Christian faith. This is what it means to count the cost. I think we do err greatly in our sharing of our faith with others. To paint this picture, <laughs> you know, you come to Christ and, <laughs> listen, I came to Christ, I never knew what problems were until I came to Christ. That's because I was going with the flow of the world. Well, when you come to Christ, you're going against now the flow of the world. And the world is against you. James is very blunt when he talks about this. He said, are, are you really friendly with the world? Well, then you're a spiritual adulterer. Because if you're friends with the world, you're at enmity with God. You cannot be friends with the world. When you come to Christ, you are now an enemy of the world, which is an enemy of Christ. So what comes packaged with people coming to Christ, preaching the gospel of Christ, and then that strengthening and encouraging to remain true in Christ, what comes packaged with that are the hardships, the afflictions, the trials, the pain, the suffering, the difficulty. I suppose you could say that the hardships, like birth pains, will continue to increase in both their frequency and intensity right before Jesus comes to take us out. And as with birth pains increasing, the closer we get, so too do the prophetic signs increase in their frequency, the closer we get. You know how it is when you're traveling and the closer you get to your final destination, the more frequent the signs are? So too is this true with the signs of the times. So now we have a question. I want to tackle this, and I've asked the Lord to help me with this. What should we do? Question. What are we able to do in light of this, in spite of this even? Well, I don't know if you're going to like this answer, <laughs> but what's new, right? <laughs> but it's more about what we're not able to do, namely that of rising up just as Moses tried to do. Now please stay with me and please hear me out. There seems to be this 
movement within the Christian church today to rise up and fight. Well, you might want to ask Moses how that worked out for him. Now, please know that I'm in no way saying that we don't take a stand. Rather, what I am saying is, we don't need to rise up and fight this, because Jesus is coming to take us out of this. All we really need to be doing is getting Jesus to people, and people to Jesus, ASAP. You'll forgive my repeated use of the Titanic as an illustration. But there's that idiom, that saying, you know, the rearranging of the deck furniture on the Titanic. I think there's merit to that. I don't want to waste my time, precious little time, because there's no time left to waste anyway, because this, this baby's going down. I want to get people off of this thing into the lifeboat of salvation before it's too late. And Jesus is that salvation. Hey look, <laughs> we talked about this last week, this world is dying, this world is passing away. Let it go already. Let it go. Why are we trying to hang on to this dying world and the things of this world? The sooner we let go, the better. Well, let me invite you to join me now in John's Gospel, the 18th chapter. It gets worse. I just want to let you know that if you don't already. <laughs> so this is the account, according to the Gospel of John, where Jesus is now standing trial before Pilate, about to be crucified. And we're told, verse 33, John 18, Then Pilate entered the praetorium again, called Jesus, and said to him, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered him. He's not going to answer the question, at least not yet anyway. This is his answer though. Are you speaking for yourself about this, or did others tell you this concerning me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, verse 36, and I want you to pay particular attention to the use of the word kingdom three times. He says, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight, so that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now, my kingdom is not from here. Pilate therefore, verse 37, said to him, uh, that's not what I asked you. <laughs> I asked you, are you a king? Are you a king then? 
Jesus answered, You say rightly that I am a king. For this cause I was born, and for this cause I have come into the world, that I should bear witness to the truth. And then he says this, everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. In other words, Pilate, I am a king, but my kingdom, because how, how are you going to be a king if you don't have a kingdom? And I think that's what Pilate's asking as a king himself, really. And the response that Jesus gives, I think, is what the Spirit is saying to the church today. The kingdom is not here. The kingdom that we fight for is the kingdom of heaven. That's the good fight. And this is why I point this out. We're all prone, and I'm just like anyone else when it comes to this. I have to confess, I would be disingenuous at best and dishonest at worst if I didn't. I mean, hey, sometimes I, I want a good fight. Let's do this, you know. Fight, fight, fight. The problem is that it needs to be the right fight. The implication is, is that there's the wrong fight. What's the wrong fight? Well, if you're fighting for the wrong kingdom, that's the wrong fight. If you're fighting the right fight, that's for the right kingdom, the kingdom of God. I think we do err greatly when we give ourselves over to the wrong fight for the wrong kingdom. And in so doing, you know what I would liken it to? And you'll forgive this comparison, but it's like trying to keep this dying world on life support. Why am I fighting to keep this thing alive? It's dying. This world is passing away. Enter the aforementioned difficulty and affliction, which has this much needed effect of refining us, purifying us, readying us. On Thursday nights we're in a verse by verse study through this amazing book of Isaiah. Last week we were in chapter 48. And what's interesting about this chapter is it's a prophecy concerning God delivering His people out of captivity in Babylon. But here's the thing. God tells them in this prophecy through the prophet Isaiah that He's going to refine them in the furnace of affliction. What? Yeah. So listen, I'm going to deliver you out of captivity in Babylon. But first, you got to go through the furnace of affliction. The Bible, though written long ago, is inspired by our Creator. God chose to speak His truth through ordinary men, but these men had their eyes fixed on their Heavenly Father. 
Their words hold a great deal of meaning for us in our world today, and maybe more so in the times we're in. Much of the activity of this world is mirrored in the pages of the Bible and is pointing to a new era that we need to be aware of. In Pastor J.D.'s weekly Mideast Prophecy Updates, he's been searching the scriptures and the news headlines and sharing with us what he's found. You can access these updates by heading to InSpiritAndTruthRadio.com and clicking on the YouTube link. Jesus will be returning to the earth soon to judge the evil that has been destroying it. And that return, friends, is drawing closer with each new day. Pastor J.D. tells us through these updates each week where we are in relation to Bible prophecy and how close our Savior's return just might be. No one knows the day or the hour this incredible event will take place, but we know from the Bible that we've been told what to expect in the moments leading up to this event. If we adopt a sense of anticipation in our daily walk with Jesus, we'll also gain with it an urgency to share the gospel message with the world around us. We're called to unashamedly boast about our Savior and plant the seed of hope which Jesus promises to water. Share Jesus with someone today and join us for another edition of the Mideast Prophecy Update right here on In Spirit and Truth.